sage and fighting the fight. He has fought cities. He has fought counties. Politicians. Naysayers. Hell, he's even fought mayors. Thank you for listening to Sage and the Houseless Movement, a weekly show dedicated to the news and views of the homeless locally and worldwide. And all other things considered homeless? Yes. Broadcasting live from your Alexa device, the Radio Free Network app, iOS, WMVU.org, Many Voices United, and the Radio Free Network.com. And now, from some wooded area in Akron, Ohio, here is Sage the Rage Lewis. I feel people are just getting sick of it. They're sick of it. They're sick of everything. <laughs> They're sick of the racism. They're sick of the cops killing everybody. I feel like that even with homelessness. Do you see this judge? Uh... Skid Row Judge. Google know what I'm talking about. Look at this. So, uh, <laughs> this article, April 26th. Judge Carter rejects LA City County attempt to pause Skid Row homeless housing deadline. Judge quoted from declarations from L.A. Alliance members that he said illustrate that a plethora of homeless persons are among plaintiffs in the lawsuit. So there's a judge that said, look, I'm sick of it. Sick of having all these homeless people on Skid Row. You got to house them all. Uh, Quoting a homeless Air Force veteran who said he found a 19-year-old blind girlfriend walking the streets of Skid Row, the federal judge overseeing a lawsuit seeking to end the downtown Los Angeles homelessness crisis, has rejected a bid by the city and county to hit pause on his decree that all indigent persons in the area must be offered shelter within six months. The city and county's like, whoa, 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 wow, wow, that came out of nowhere. You want us to house people? And the guy's like, that's what you said you were going to do for the last who knows how many years. In an order filed late Sunday, April 25th, the Los Angeles Federal Court, U.S. District Judge David O. Carter hit back at the city county's claim that his housing order lacked standing because the plaintiffs, the L.A. Alliance for Human Rights, cannot allege injuries to third parties, homeless persons on Skid Row. (laughs) In response, the judge quoted the declaration from L.A. Alliance members that he said illustrate that a plethora of homeless people are among plaintiffs in the lawsuit. Wenziel Gerald, a homeless veteran who served for years in the Air Force before being injured in combat, says in such that in one such declaration that service providers offer little to no substantive support for the people living in Skid Row. Gerald, who suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder from years of serving in war, which has made it difficult for him to survive on the streets, said that he found a 19-year-old blind girl walking the streets of Skid Row. Sure, that's not going to go well. <laughs> I see these 19-year-old girls out on the street. I've never seen a blind one, but I've seen a lot of 19-year-old girls by themselves trying to get a fix for opiates, fentanyl. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. We all see it, too. Like all my homeless friends were like, oh, my God, this poor girl, this poor girl. <laughs> I saw a homeless girl once. I, uh, she wouldn't tell me where she was from, but she looked like 
she was just fresh out of the suburbs. And I'm just like, what are you doing here? I don't know what happened to her. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I just, she was staying in some abandoned property in inner city Akron, which I, you know, you might not think is hardcore, but we're killing everybody around here. We love shooting people in Akron. I had a friend tell me that, uh, you knew a guy that was going back to Compton <laughs> because he felt safer over there than in Akron. <laughs> it's legit. It's a legit city. So, uh, it was clear that she would be unable to survive there by herself. And Gerald brought her to a county service worker. This is going to be good. Who told him that there was nothing they could do for the girl. <laughs> Gerald, who prides himself on how helping countless others, because that's what homeless people do. They actually help people, unlike the service workers, to get out of the black hole that is Skid Row. So there's nothing worse than getting stuck in the system of Skid Row and finding you cannot escape, Carter wrote, quoting from the man's declaration. Unfortunately, the judge added, Gerald himself had not been able to escape the system, concluding his declaration. Gerald states that he would jump at a chance for stable housing. <clears throat> the world doesn't know how bad it really is to live on Skid Row. I know I'm more likely to die because I live on Skid Row. It is a desperate situation, he said in the declaration. The judge also quotes Maria Diaz, a homeless woman and a plaintiff in the suit, who said she's been lived on she has lived on Skid Row for five years and has seen young women harassed, attacked, raped, and ultimately succumbed to drug addiction due to the condition of Skid Row. I mean, yeah, that's what happens. I mean, I'm glad they're pointing it out in Skid Row. It happens in Akron. It happens in, in, in Detroit. It happens in uh, Cincinnati. It happens in Milwaukee. It happens in all these cities. Yeah. Duh. Diaz states that it is women like herself who suffer the most on Skid Row. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ra harassment of women in Skid Row is a certainty. A certainty. Again, just take out the name Skid Row and put in any other city. Any other city. I mean, Skid Row is probably the culmination of like has the most, but it's not worse. Do you understand? I mean, it's worse because it's collectively worse. There's a lot more people, but it's not worse. It's not like less violent other places. It's the same violence anywhere else. Uh The woman said that her fellow residents with Skid Row are always trying to sell drugs, steal belongings, or just hassle those trying to make it through this troubling time. Diaz said she wishes that resources were more accessible to those living on the street because she believes the first step in escaping homelessness is finding a safe and stable place to rebuild your life. Yeah, you cannot rebuild your life in unsanctioned camps. It's impossible. It's like goes against everything Maslow's hierarchy of needs states. Carter also wrote that a 60-year-old woman suffering homelessness along Skid Row declared that she had reached out to authorities to help. She was allegedly told that she must wait six months to be assigned a caseworker, and not a single city or county employee offered her a room through Project Room Key, which was a big project they were tight touting. The quotes illustrate that the plaintiff's injuries are traceable to the city and county, as alleged by the L.A. Alliance, and are likely to be remedied by a favorable judicial decision, the judge wrote, rejecting the defendant's argument that the housing deadline should be put on hold because the 
Plaintiff's coalition does not include actual indigent people suffering irreparable harm. <laughs> we should stop the judge's ruling that everybody needs to be housed in six months because they're fine. Which is literally what homeless service providers say. I The one that just always shook me to my core were two homeless service providers telling me that the um, streets are, are motivating, meaning it, you know, they're living on the streets gets you motivated to want to get into housing. So it, this sheds light on how these people think that uh, does not include indigent people suffering irreparable harm. There's no irreparable harm living on the streets. Don't be silly. They're fine out there. It's fine. Living on the streets. <laughs> This judge is squeezing them, and it's interesting. It's wa- it's fun to watch what words get squeezed out of their mouths. The judge wrote that there can be no harm more grave or irreparable than the loss of life, and with each passing day, five homeless persons die in Skid Row. The judge wrote, oh, sorry. Carter said that while the court would continue to impose its schedule, including an October 18th deadline for all persons on Skid Row to be offered shelter. He invited the mayor of Los Angeles and the chair of County Board of Supervisors to meet with the court pursuant to settlement discussions. With the court pursuant to settlement discussions. Last week, the judge ordered, I hate legal words. Could you say some words that humans understand? Last week, the judge ordered that the city offer housing options to Skid Row residents within 90 days in the case of unaccompanied women and children, and within 120 days in the case of families, and within 180 days of the general population. Within 180 days, everybody needs to be housed. Is there a snapshot of the house? Like, like, was it on that day? Because that's what they'll play the game. That's how they did it in my shelter. They're like, well, you know, Sage isn't going to stop sheltering people and we can't be responsible for all the people Sage is going to continue to shelter. So we're going to commit to just housing the people at this point in time. It's literally what they said. And they couldn't do that either. I, of course, I kept sheltering people. What, what do you think? People need shelter. I'm going to shelter them. Jesus. Uh, last week, the judge ordered the city to. Uh, oh, sorry. Dang it. Come on, Sage. <laughs> Carter noted that under these terms, while the city is offered is ordered to offer housing options on the timeline, Skid Row residents are not required to accept and may decline these offers. Both the city and county gave notice of appeal to the U.S. Ninth Court Circuit Court of Appeals and asked that Carter hit pause. On last week's ruling pending resolution of the appeal, (laughs) the judge refused the request but made some modifications, including one involved Mayor Eric Garcetti's announced $1 billion homelessness budget. A billion dollars! Garcetti has said that the money would be used next year to combat the crisis, but last week Carter ordered that the money be immediately placed in escrow with funding streams accounted for and reported to uh, the court within seven days. All right, I'll come back to this article. How many people are on Skid Row? Says, okay, it says, as of the 2019 count, the population, 
of the district was 4,757. Skid Row contains one of the largest stable populations. This has between 4,200 and 8,000 people of homeless people in the United States and is known uh, for the condensed homeless population since the 1930s. Let's just take the top number. 1 billion divided by 8,000. That's $125,000 per person. <laughs> that we're going to take the top number of Skid Row people, 8,000 people, divided by a billion dollars, which apparently is what this guy's going to get. That means he can spend $125,000 per person to house them. Now, let me ask you a question. <laughs> you maybe are not a homeless advocate expert. You haven't spent your career in <laughs> homeless services and homeless housing. But you, just you, just you, just listening now on 13 minutes of this podcast. If I said to you, Here's $125,000. I need you to house a person. Could you do it? <laughs> Could you do it? What if I said, okay, good job. You housed one at $125,000. If I gave you 10 people, for 1.2 million. Could you house them? <laughs> could you do it? I think you could. I think you could. <laughs> But not the housing providers over here in Los Angeles. They need to hit a pause. They need to hit a pause. <laughs> Judge asked that the parties to create a binding commitment and implementation plan for the funds, this billion dollars that they're going to get. This is just the billion dollars, not the other who knows how much money they're going to get. As for land holdings, Carter, Carter ordered a hearing for May 27th to discuss evidence as to what properties are available for homelessness relief. Officials believe there are several thousand persons currently living on Skid Row, according to L.A. Homeless serve more than 1,400. Okay, now this says it's 1,400 people in the area accepted temporary accommodations last year. Okay, it says, so they don't give a number. They said several thousand. According to this other article, it's between... You know, what did I say? It's between 4,200 and 8,000 people. Okay. If it's 4,000 people, $1 billion divided by 4,000. Now you get $250,000. <laughs> so if I said to you, hey, 
person that's never housed a single homeless person in your life, if I gave you $250,000, do you think you could house somebody? You'd probably be like, uh, could I house myself? <laughs> you could buy houses. A house in Akron, Ohio costs $80,000. That's maybe $86,000 is the median price of a house. What if you went to a homeless person and said, hey, uh, what if I buy you a house in Akron, Ohio? And then not only do I buy you a house for Akron, Ohio, you know, Akron, Ohio for $80,000, which is very possible. Um, I then also uh, give you um, the remaining hundred and twelve, oh, let's see, 80, so 20 and the other $45,000 I hand out to you in the first year to, you know, get yourself in order. And I, you know, I, I break it up in monthly allotments. Think they'd go. <laughs> I think you could move them all out. <sighs> they want to put a hold on this. Like, Can we pause this? Wait a second. You want us to actually get shit done here? Whoa, 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 whoa. I thought you were just having us create a bureaucracy over here. I was confused. <laughs> Los Angeles has lost its parks, beaches, schools, sidewalks, and, high and highway system due to its inaction of city and county officials who left our homeless citizens with no other place to turn, the judge wrote in his filing last week. Garcetti has called the pace of the judge's homeless placement schedule unprecedented and questioned where the rooms, the real estate would be found to shelter several thousand indigent citizens within 180 days. These people that do this work are literally baffled. Well, where are we going to find this? These are the people in charge of solving homelessness. <laughs> they don't know where to house them. They're given a billion dollars. In his original ruling, the judge suggested that Skid Row, a sprawling 50-block warren of downtown streets containing one of the largest population of indigent people in the nation, was a byproduct of a legacy of racism that left black people, especially black women, effect effectively abandoned on the streets. Such government governmental inertia has affected not only black Angelinos, not only homeless Angelinos, but all Angelinos of every race, gender, identity, and social class. Carter said the time has come to redress these wrongs and finish another measure of our nation's unfinished work. The LA Alliance a group of downtown homeless business owners <laughs> and homeless residents brought the lawsuit against the city and the county in March of 2020. During more than a dozen federal court hearings, the lawsuit has become bogged down in bureaucratic snarls. That's how the cities like to do it. They like to focus on the details and not the actual issues between the city and county, prompting Carter to consider how he might deploy the power of federal government to speed up efforts to get city sidewalks cleared and place homeless people into housing. LA Alliance lawyers have written that Skid Row is a catastrophe created by the city and county in which the city adopted a policy of physical containment in which the poor, disabled, and mentally ill would be contained inside the delineated borders of downtown. Uh... 
It is cities and counties that propagate homelessness. What they like to do is they like to blame the homeless for their inaction and uh, ineptitude. And I just feel like we're just in an era where we're like, we're sick of it. We're sick of the cops killing. I don't know if we're really sick. I mean, just right now, I just get a sense of like, I'm sick of it all. Uh, Chauvin's going to prison. Uh, we're going to start running all these uh, evil cop motherfuckers through the law system. If they did, if they, if they broke the law, they're going to jail. I'm fucking sick of it. You're going to house these fucking homeless people. I'm sick of it. It's just how I feel. It's just how I feel. Like, I'm just sick of it. Uh, I just read this morning. Homeless people living on the streets of New York City. Let me see. Wait, 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 wait. No, no. Let me go get this article. Hold on. Let me get you this. So there's a person that put up a tent in Manhattan. Let me get you this. Hold on. <laughs> okay. Homeless people. The article is uh, homeless people pitch tent on 86th and Broadway. <laughs> Three homeless people have set up a tent on the Broadway median of 86th Street. The New York Post reports. Let me just go over to that report. Okay. It says people here love us. Vagrants set up tent in middle of Upper West Side. New York New York Post is kind of not nice to people. A couple of vagrants, I wish people would stop using the word vagrants, have pitched a tent smack in the middle of Broadway to claim a street divider as their own little piece of paradise. And some of their upper side neighbors, not happy, not happy about the campers, the hobos. Damn, damn. That's an old bigoted word who even planted flowers outside their pop-up abode at the intersection of 86th Street insisted to the Post on Tuesday. People here love us despite outrage over their curbside digs and lack of city action. They give us money, food, everything, said the 33-year-old woman Amber at the entrance flap of a orange tent in the middle of a paved street line divider area of West 86th Street and Broadway. But Mark Pensiati, Pensiati who 41, who lives on West 80 not 92nd street which this is on 86th street what does he give us crap and works nearby in the food industry said he was furious at the setup which is yet another blatant sign of the city's decline this is so fucked up he said Pensiati watched as a worker with a silver homeless outreach SUV stopped by the scene to deliver bottled water to the vagrants and two NYPD cops in a masked SUV looked on nearby. The officers were only two of the slew of NYPD officers who came and went along the streets through the city at times chatting with each other as they looked at the tents before simply moving on. You see that Pensiati raged at the pair of officers seemingly ignoring the tents. What the fuck are we doing? This is fucking nuts we're gonna end up like la the resident said referring to the california city's massive controversial homeless encampment sally richardson 77 a retired fashion industry worker who's lived on who has lived on 86th street since 1969 added the tent hobos this is extreme it's getting close to the 1970s she said of the state of the city 
where random violent attacks on the street left New Yorkers in fear and businesses are fleeing left and right for greener pastures. That's not a sentence. You screwed it up. But back then, I was never afraid to take the subway, Richardson said. Today, I'm worried about being pushed or slashed. Yeah, these people look dangerous. I see a picture of them. Still, Amber, who lives with her male partner and another man in the tent, suggested that he or she and her roommate are welcome guests in the area. Lady came yesterday and gave us this tent. <laughs> the vagrant talked about her collection of flowers outside her digs as if discussing a home garden. I have a bunch of flowers in the back, she said. Amber said it's from Maryland. She and her partner, Devante, 28, from Durham, North Carolina, said they've been living on the street in this area for several weeks, mainly in boxes, playing a cat and mouse game with some city workers. We've been here a month, and sanitation keeps taking our box. They sent six cops, four sanitation workers, and a sheriff the other day just for three people living in a box. I built it here in the bushes on the corner. They keep taking it. But she and Devante claimed that many regulars in the area have welcomed them with open arms. Devante talked about local bus drivers and taxi hacks as if they're old family friends, saying the couple unzips their tent to the side just so we can say hi to the bus drivers as they go around. When the pair was previously living down the street in a box, one of the bus drivers had people on the bus and he stopped and it wasn't even a right stop. He got off the bus. He gave us 40 bucks. Yes, 40 bucks and got back on the bus and kept going. A female driver also brought the McDonald's, he said. The crazy part about it is cars will be coming and they will slow down right here and block cars from even getting up the block. And they slow down, roll the windows and give us stuff and greet us. Sometimes we get an overload of food. The couple said that to go to the bathroom, they use the local Methodist church or McDonald's. As the pair talked, the sounds of subway trains loudly rumbled beneath them through a grate. Drowned them out, forcing them to stop for a few seconds as they nodded their heads up and down as if listening to music. The train gets loud, Amber admitted, but she said they don't mind because the subway has to beat to it, has a beat to it. She often lulls them to sleep. Amber said the woman who gave them the tent frequently checks on them and recently gave them a piece of paper and information on it about jobs at a farm. The homeless woman said, we're trying to get jobs, but it's hard in the situation we're in to have a job. Some local residents told the post they are behind the pair in their tent home. I'd rather see this, that they are be protected than sleeping on cardboard, said James Merkin, 64, who lives nearby. A tent here and there isn't bothering anybody. In Seattle, they're building tiny houses for these people. And that's the end of it. Uh, so there you go. Um, what I find is it's like anything in mass, like, you know, one bird is cute. A hundred birds. You, you make a movie called the birds, you know, it's same with homeless people. Like, uh, we're like, Oh, well one tent is nice. And interestingly looking at this picture, I don't think there's even room for another tent. I mean, maybe you could put another tent, which is actually kind of nice. What a nice idea, honestly. So there's a tent right here. That's not blocking the sidewalk. It's just over here. and. Who are they bothering? <laughs> that guy, that one guy pissed off in the post. I mean, they, they like to just, they hate on people. It's 
you know, they're upset, calling them hobos, just really a bigoted phrase um, or whatever. So I just feel like um, I just get a sense that there is a level of like, I'm just sick of it. I'm just sick of people being dicks. Uh, let me play you this video. I don't think it'll get caught in a filter. I don't know. Can I play a video on here? I haven't really set that up. Well, we'll see. Uh, hold on. Let me see if I can find a, okay. Let me see. No. Okay. Uh, now I don't know that I can do it. Can I do this? Oh, why not try? Ooh, ooh, look at all these other things I can do. Okay, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, so here's me, music bed, interview. Let's do, okay, let's do, can I get that? Can I figure that out? Nope, can't figure it out today. I can't figure it out. Wait, why? Why can't I figure it out? Why is that not working? Uh, my sound goes into that soundboard. Oh, I know why. No, no, the, this sound doesn't go into the soundboard. All right. I can't figure it out. Never mind. Uh, there's a guy, I'll just tell you the story. James Rhodes from Stowe, Ohio, which is right up the street from me. I live in Akron, Ohio. Um, <laughs> just started bashing this african-american lady lady who was doing i don't know uber eats or something like that he was pissed off that she was near his house she was you know she was in her car dropping off food somebody had ordered and you know he just goes totally ape shit bananas uh you know using every possible racial slur he said he had an ak-47 in his car which i totally don't believe i mean he was drunk, but I don't like to bring that up because then you're like, Oh, I see. He was drunk. No, 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 no. That's not an excuse. And I, you're like, I know it's not an excuse, but you know, I get it now. No, you don't. I never once said anything like that in all my years of drinking. And I got really drunk. I've never, never once, never once did I use the N word or uh, throw a hate speech out. No matter how drunk I got, and I got drunk, never did it because uh, I'm not racist like that. <laughs> um, but on that topic, you have to be open to your own racism or your own bigotry or your own prejudice, your own classism. Um. Anytime you judge somebody that you don't know, nah, and even if you know them, like whenever you judge somebody, you would do well to, when you calm down, take a step back and be like, well, why did they act that way? Why did, why did I get angry? Why did they mistreat me or something along those lines? And if you are at all perceptive about 
humanity, you usually can be like, well, it's because of this. It's because they felt threatened. It was because they um, feel out of, they, they feel like they've lost control of their surroundings, which is a hundred percent what a, the racist guy, this James Rhodes, you know, he's just like, look, I came over here to Stowe, Ohio because I just wanted to be a, a white people. Now I walk out of my house all drunk and fucked up and there's a black lady right here. God damn it. Where can I go to just see white people? Now, I don't know why he hates black people. I've known racists that hate black people because they were treated very badly. I know an older guy that's racist. And the reason he hates black people was because he was uh, um, bullied and oftentimes beat up by black. He grew up in a black town. In a black community and the black people didn't like him. So, yeah. Can you get it? Can you understand the racism? You got to understand it if you're going to fix it, because just, you know, now James Rhodes, if he doesn't get killed, which I am a little worried because, you know, I wrote a video, I did a video that has 1200 views and I've seen other videos that, you know, a lot, uh, a lot more views. Uh, this guy, you know, is obviously getting death threats at this point. And, uh, you know, threatened to have an AK-47, and I don't really believe he did. I mean, who has an AK-47? Like, in his car, he said. It was in his car. Like, he just goes around with his AK? Um, but he said it. Some people might not like that. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, yeah, so it's going to be a little hard being James Rhodes for a while. But one thing will be clear. He'll never say that shit again. And you, uh, at least in public, you think that might be a success, but it's not. It's not a success at all. You haven't changed James Rhodes thinking about black people one bit. In fact, he probably hates black people even more. You've now probably made him a, you know, a vigilante terrorist. He might not actually hurt black people, but I guarantee he's really, really mad at black people now what they've done to him. So us by, you know, we're in this phase where we're doing um, diversity, equity, inclusion seminars. The real message white people are getting is shut the fuck up. Stop saying shit. James Rhodes, stop saying all that racist shit that's on your mind. Which, in my mind, is not helping, maybe actually even making shit worse. Because, you know, like, for example, there was a comedian that said, like, he doesn't support getting rid of these uh, Confederate flags because when he's in the South, and he's a black guy, and when he's in the South and he rolls up on a gas station, he likes to see which pickup trucks got the Confederate flag, so he just knows who to stay away from. <laughs> they take down the Confederate flags, you don't know who's the racist anymore. You didn't get rid of racism, you know? By pushing it underground, you're making it harder to deal with because racism isn't going away. Is racism better than it was? I can't possibly know. I don't know. 
because you can't even, I, I would, I'd be tempted to go and look at a study, but people aren't going to tell the truth on those studies. You know, they know what's politically correct to say these days. And, uh, they're not, you're not going to hear, look, I've seen these, like I've seen studies about, uh, homeless addicts, like 26%. I mean, I don't know if that's the exact number, but let's say it's like that. 26% of homeless people are, have a, a, a drug problem. And then they talk about other like alcohol and no, 26% told you they had a drug problem. I think the number is 75% and the other, then the other are, are doing alcohol. <laughs> I don't know a single homeless person that isn't at least occasionally sipping on a beer, smoking pot, or mostly doing meth. I mean, the meth is like a pick-me-up, you know? Feeling down and out. Inject some meth. Snort some meth. Smoke some meth. Just get some meth. It's cheap. So, uh, you know. The, whoever did that survey that said 26% of homeless people are using drugs is, just got duped. I believe they did the study. I believe they asked. And I do believe that only 26% of people said they did drugs, but that's a lie. So I can't possibly know what percentage of people are actually racist. Are there more racist now than before a percentage wise? Probably a little less, but then you know, now you just have all these people being like, I'm not racist. I'm not racist. I'm not racist. Oh, really? I, I got a friend that's black. I married a black person. Yeah, it doesn't mean you're not racist. I've known a lot of people that are racist that married black people. <laughs> so. Who knows if we're more or less or the same racist? I don't know. I can't possibly guess. Can't possibly know. But I know for one, I know one thing. I know that there's people like James Rhodes that are happy to get drunk and start spewing all kinds of racism, all kinds of racism. Love it. They love doing it. Do it all the time. Any chance they get, especially when they're drinking. Uh... So, all we're learning is to shut up. We're not learning to accept our own racism. We're not learning to understand what it's like to be a black person, to try to understand. And for that, I mostly blame white liberals. Uh, Malcolm X called him, I'm not sorry, <laughs> Martin Luther King called him uh, moderates. That's all a liberal is today is a moderate. There's nothing liberal about a liberal these days. They're just moderates. And what moderates love is to slow your roll. Don't get all crazy. And now isn't a good time. <laughs> Every time I see a black person get killed, uh, there's always a disclaimer. Somebody has to say, uh, we just, you know, you got to be peaceful. We understand you're upset, but be peaceful. Be peaceful. How about you make the cops be peaceful? Stop killing black people. 
and stop worrying so much about your precious property because what you're saying is black people are not as important as your uh, Target stores, <laughs> even though you named them Target. That's what you're saying, and that's racism, okay? You see? Do you get me? Do you get me? You don't even know what's racist. You telling black people to be uh, peaceful because yet another black man has been shot in the back of the head by a cop uh, is racist. Be peaceful. Be peaceful. You're a racist. See? And now the problem is then you get all defensive. You're like, no, I'm not. That's not racist. It's just not right to, you know, loot and steal. It's not right. Oh, it's not, huh? You ever hear of something called the American Revolution? <laughs> You're reaping the rewards of that. You ever hear of the Civil War that uh, pushed the end of slavery? And then we just put everybody in jails, made them slaves again. But still, that's fucking shit up for a cause and what you're saying is well that this cause isn't worth that that don't be stupid black people getting shot isn't worth causing a ruckus you know you can get on the street and sing march but you're probably going to get uh tear gassed <laughs> for doing it uh and that's okay Nobody says anything about that. That be peaceful thing is probably the most racist thing that's happening right now. By moderates. By moderates. By liberals. By Democrats. White Democrats. Eh, even some black moderate Democrats. Uh... We got to be able to talk about this stuff. Okay. If I say that's racist, you can't be like, no, it's not. Because now we're in a defensive posture and you can't learn from it. You see? Uh, and nobody likes to be called racist. But I'm telling you, we're all racist. Every white person in America and probably planet Earth is racist towards black people and towards Asians and Latinx. And, you know, just because I know the word doesn't mean I'm not racist. OK. We're racist just by taking advantage of the benefits of being a white middle class person. The entire system that we benefit from is racist. Okay. And we must continue doing racial work. You have to start from the fact of where are my racist tendencies? What am I doing and thinking and acting? How about the fact that your company doesn't have any black people or people of color? Uh, in its um, management. How about the fact that uh, almost any way you slice and dice this country, 
black people are disproportionately underrepresented in the workforce, except where they are overrepresented in the slave workforce of the prisons. You see, do you understand? And do you understand how you are culpable? You are propagating it. You could walk out of work. You know? You could hold a protest and say, I need, uh, I need management to be um, represented, represented of the uh, diversity in my city, which in Akron, if you do that, every hospital and the college and, uh, you know, major corporation should have 30% of their management be African-American because that's how many African-Americans are in um, Akron. If you have an Akron business, you should have 30% of your management be African-American. And could you just stop putting them on your boards? I really hate that because boards are free and you're just making another slave. At, it's, not, it's not an honor to be on your board of directors for free. You just enslaved black people again. It's so embarrassing. Black people need to make more money. Women need to make more money. Low-income people, by their very definition, need to make more money. And you, white liberal, are at fault for all of that. You're propping up all of that. You are oppressing all those people. Every minority, every woman, and every poor person. You are guilty of it all because you don't do anything. And don't tell me you went to a Black Lives Matter protest. Who gives a fuck? You don't do anything. You know what? So in America, what we really care about is our money. Why don't you risk your money on it? <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not talking about giving some more charity money. I'm talking about unionizing. I'm talking about walking out. I'm talking about striking. You don't care that much. Don't be stupid, Sage. I got responsibilities. Well, you know what? Everybody's got responsibilities, including the people that you are oppressing. They got responsibilities too. And your system that you're riding high on that's grinding them into the dirt 
is making their responsibilities much more difficult to achieve. Oh, and let's not forget addicts, drug addicts. You're oppressing them. You hired Joe Biden as your president who basically enslaved a third of the African-American male population. This is what I'm seeing out here on uh, the streets. The police go on a, uh, you know, a drug call. They got a warrant for some drug thing or another, and then the black guy ends up dead. What are you doing to uh, end the war on drugs? What are you doing about anything? You're not doing shit. Nothing that's meaningful. Nothing that actually will create change. Ah, did you plant a tree? Good job. Whoa. Good job. You planted a tree. <laughs> did you clean up some garbage? Good job. You are guilty of it all. I am guilty of it all. Every part of it. The whole thing. Racist. It's like communist. It's an ism. It's a structure. Some Ku Klux Klaner or this James Rhodes isn't the problem. Running around saying the N-word. Going all crazy. We like to scapegoat him and put the blame on him. He's not the problem. We're the problem. The moderates who have learned the right words to say. <laughs> because we look rational. We look tempered. When was the last time, white people, that you ever were in a place that you were the only white person? The only white person. If you're a black person, when was the last time you were the only black person? <laughs> Yesterday? This morning? I think most white people probably can count on one hand the number of times they were in a room where they were the only white person. <laughs> and don't talk to me about going to the Caribbean. You weren't even the only white person in the Caribbean. You only went where the white people went. <laughs> the Caribbean. Jamaica. Did you get off of your did you get off of your uh cruise ship in Jamaica for the afternoon? Ooh, ooh. Good job, white man. <laughs> You're so <laughs> multicultural. <laughs> You're the problem, not James Rhodes, because James Rhodes doesn't create the systems. You propagate the systems of moderation. You live in a country that doesn't even know the meaning of the word socialism. Yeah, do you even know what it means? 
Do you know what socialism means? I'll, I'll wait. Do you know what it means? What do you think it means? Got an idea? Let me get you the official definition. What is the definition of socialism? A political and economic theory of social organization which advocates that the means of production, distribution, and exchange should be owned or regulated by the community as a whole. The people should own everything. It does not mean <laughs> government run healthcare. That's not socialism at all. That's just government run healthcare. <laughs> Social security is not you controlling the means of production. Medicare, Medicaid is not you controlling the means of production. Socialism is you owning Microsoft and Google and Facebook. You see? That's what socialism is. We're not talking about that. That is left, okay? That's on the left side of things. You debating on whether or not people should have the right to education, which only benefits society, uh, healthcare, which only ben benefits society, um, is not socialism. <laughs> we don't even know what it means to be socialist. We're just moderates. And Activists have been fighting moderates since the beginning. They um, are what truly controls society, the rational people. Let's be realistic here. We can't rush things. I mean, that's what Barack Obama would say. He's like, you know, we just need to keep going up little by little. Thanks, Barack. We could have had uh, universal health care on your watch, but nope, you caved. And maybe it would have told, I don't know. I don't know the, the, the strategy on that. <laughs> um, we, the white middle class, are guilty of it all, and we're not doing anything about it which makes us even more other than blaming these racist, you know, these overtly racist people who have no control, no power are not doing anything. They're, they, they're nobodies just yelling racist racial slurs on, on, you know, TikTok or whatever. That's, that's not, <laughs> that's not, that's nothing. <laughs> they have never been the problem. It's the moderates that are the problem. And until you start asking yourself, why, what am I doing that's propagating the problem? And how can I change that? And don't tell me it's because you're going to shop it less at Amazon. So sick of that. I'm not going to shop over there anymore. Oh, great. Thanks. No, man. 
real action. Are you going to stand up for your brothers and sisters of America? Are you going to put a sign out in front of your house? Because I would just rather you be like, look, I, I don't do anything about that shit than to pretend you're part of Black Lives Matter. <laughs> well, telling black people to calm down. Don't be violent, black people. You want to be a part of something? Tell people to burn the fucking shit to the ground on Facebook. Tell them they have the right to do whatever the goddamn well they please. Okay? Call out your liberal brothers and sisters about how uh, they don't understand what it's like to be a poor white person in America. Look at all of the things that you are doing just by existing that is hurting other people. Your existence, just you walking around in your job, in your car, in your clothes is hurting other people making their lives difficult, keeping them pushed downward. As you go up, they go down. Understand it. And if you really care, figure out what you're going to do. Do something or don't mention it. You're better off. You're not much better than the racist guy. And in fact, at least I respect that racist guy for being honest. You're not honest. You don't even know what you're talking about. You don't, you think you went to a DEI diversity, equity, and inclusion seminar. And now you're a fucking saint. And then you go outside and you drive around in your, uh, gas guzzling car and go on your gas guzzling vacations and, buy your shit that comes from China, oppressing those people, oppressing the Uyghurs, you're the problem. Liberal white people, stop looking at other people and start looking at yourself because that's where you need to look. That's where the real change not needs to happen. Not someplace else, not the other person. You are the problem. You are what needs fixed. Wake up to that truth. Thank you for listening to Sage and the Houseless Movement, a weekly show dedicated to the news and views of the homeless locally and worldwide.